Well, I love reading about history, and it seems like many of the things I read focus on two major periods in American history. I love reading about the Civil War, and I love reading about World War II. It seems like a lot of the things I read focus on those two, two different eras. And I've learned some things about, about military campaigns. I've read those different books. I've learned that a military can only be victorious if everyone is playing their role. For example, there's more than just the, the troops on the front lines with the weapons. There have to be those who are uh, submitting orders, those who are carrying out the orders to the chain of command. There has to be logistic concerns that are taken care of. There has to be supply lines that, that, that get to the troops. They have everything that they need. There have to be medics that, that help those that are wounded and give the soldiers what they need. There's so many different roles that have to be fulfilled in a military if the military is going to be victorious, if the campaign is going to be successful. The same thing is true in the world of sports. We know that roles are important on an athletic team. Let me just think of a random example. For example, when the Seminoles beat Wake Forest yesterday, 59-3, to <laughs> you have to have specific roles being fulfilled on any team, quarterback, Line, the, you know, the, the men on the line of scrimmage, the wide receivers, the running back, everyone has to play their role if the team is going to be successful, the team is going to be victorious. Well, the same idea is true in our spiritual lives. If we're going to be victorious, everyone has to do their part. And I want you to see this morning that there are three roles that must be fulfilled if you and I are going to grow in our faith. I want to share with you what those three roles are are and who the ones are that are to fulfill those roles so keeping that in mind look with me colossians colossians chapter 2 as we continue our study line by line verse by verse this wonderful new testament letter colossians chapter 2 we're going to begin reading in verses 6 and 7 just by way of information i when i first started studying this passage i was going to preach all the way down through verse 15 but as I dug in a little bit, I saw I would not get past verse 7. So we're just going to study two verses this morning, but they are rich. So look there with me. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. The Bible is truth with no mixture of error. And I'm grateful for my Bible. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says, Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we ask, Lord, for your grace in this moment. We ask you to help us that you would make this time of Bible study profitable. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would move in our midst. And I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as we study this truth, you would give us the power and the grace and the wisdom to obey what we study. Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So, Lord, make that happen in our midst today. Speak to us with power and with clarity. Change our lives. This time is all about you. May you be glorified. May you be lifted up in this moment, Lord. 
Well, thank you for that grace. Lord, establish my steps in your word, and we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've been studying this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Colossae, and it's a rich letter. The first chapter is filled with wonderful, wonderful truths and realities. We see that in this first chapter, Paul prayed for the believers in Colossae. We see that Paul lifted up the person and the work of Christ. And at the end of chapter 1, Paul shares with them his ministry philosophy. He reminded them that he wanted to present every man complete in Christ. Not just converts, but people that are living in functional maturity in their relationship with the Lord. And as he talks about this, this ministry mindset that he had, he begins to discuss in a deeper way what maturity looks like, what spiritual growth looks like, and we see that in chapter 2. And so, keep that in mind, I want you to see the immediate context of these two verses. Look what it says there in verse 6. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, notice the word therefore. I've taught you, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Whenever you see the word therefore, it's referring back to something that was previously said. So he's referring back to the first five verses. Therefore, in light of what I've just said. Now, last week we said that, that Paul focuses on three ingredients for growth. He focuses in those first five verses on encouragement and fellowship and truth. So it's like he's saying this. Therefore, in light of those ingredients for growth, I want to share with you some roles for growth that must be fulfilled. The, the right people need to be putting the right ingredients together for spiritual growth, spiritual maturity to happen. And so we're talking about these three roles in our growth process. But before we get to those three roles, I want to give you just a couple foundational statements, things that are important to remember as we talk about our spiritual maturity, our growth in Christ. The first foundational statement is found in your notes. It's this, a person is saved when they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. A person is saved when they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Before we talk about Christian growth, we've got to talk about salvation. Because before you can grow in your journey with Christ, you've got to begin the journey, right? And conversion, when you meet Christ, that's when you begin the journey. Look what he says in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that was your starting place for your walk of faith. You received Christ Jesus Lord. You were saved. You were forgiven of your sins. You were born again. You began a relationship with God when you received Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, a couple interesting things here. Number one, it's interesting to note that he doesn't say you received a denomination or you received a religious system or you received a creed. No, he says you received a person. You received Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Christianity is. It's a, it's a receiving of Jesus Christ into our life, accepting him as our Lord and Savior, beginning a relationship with him. But also, notice how he refers to Jesus. He says there, you've received Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. It's the word for Messiah, the Greek word for Messiah. It speaks of the one that God promised he would send. Jesus is that one. So you receive Christ. Then he says, Jesus, the word Jesus was the name that God told Mary and Joseph to name their son, to name Jesus Christ. The word Jesus means God saves. So it speaks of Jesus being our Savior. Then he says, You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. You received him not as, as just as Messiah and just as Savior. You received him as Lord, as ruler over your life. This is important. 
because there's a, a false teaching out there that says, well, you can receive Jesus as Savior at one point and then receive him as Lord at another point. No, no, no. The Bible says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't receive Jesus as Savior and consciously reject his lordship over your life. You can't say, okay, I want your forgiveness, but I'll get around to obeying you in the future. That's not how it works. You receive that gift in recognition that you are turning from your sins and you are beginning a relationship where you are following Christ. Whatever that means, you're going to follow Christ Jesus. I like what Billy Graham wrote many years ago. He wrote, No man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. And so he says, you've received Christ Jesus as Lord. You've received him into your life. That is the beginning point for a person's relationship with God. Before you can walk with God, you've got you've to know him. You've got to be converted. You've got to be saved. You've got to be redeemed. You've got to be justified. You've got to be born again. And he said, that happened when you receive Christ Jesus. This verse reminds me of John 1.12 where John wrote, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you are a Christian today, if you are born again today, it's because you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as a free gift. Because you did that, he forgave you, he came in your life to change you, and he gave you the hope and promise of heaven. So that's the first foundational statement. The second foundational statement is something I've already said, but we need to say it again. Conversion is not the finish line. It is the starting point. I preached a whole sermon on this a couple weeks ago. Conversion is not the finish line. It is the starting point. Paul says, my, my goal is not to present you as converts. My goal is to present you complete, living in functional maturity. You're, you're been, you've been saved. Now you've grown in your faith, and you're able to serve the Lord effectively. And he says the same thing here in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, now that you're saved, you're just getting started. Now your, your focus should be on walking with him. So conversion is not the finish line. It's the starting point, right? And I think for a long time in American Christianity, we talked about conversion being the finish line. Once you get to that, that point, you're done. Okay, you're saved, and then you just kind of float around and, and, and just kind of live your life with no real focus on the Lord. That is not the biblical picture at all. Conversion is a starting point where we begin a relationship, a walk with God. God, listen, God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature in Christ. So how do we get there? We talked about it, some ingredients last week. What are the roles that have to be fulfilled if you and I are going to grow in our faith? Well, there are three roles I want to share with you that this passage details. First of all, when it comes to spiritual growth, we have a part to play. We have a part to play. You have a part to play. I have a part to play. Look what he says there in verse 6. Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you've received him, continue to walk in him. Now this word walk is an interesting word. It's, it's a verb, and it's a present active imperative. 
You say, wait, what in the world does that mean? Well, the present tense indicates that this is to be continual, that you are to continually walk with Jesus. This is an everyday thing, not a once-a-week thing. This is an everyday thing. As you've received Jesus, now you are to continually walk with him. And it's imperative, which means this is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not Paul saying, I think it would be a really good idea if you walk with Jesus. This is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, now that you've been saved, now that you've received Christ, you are called to walk in Christ. You are called, you are commanded to make Jesus a daily priority. So what does that mean for your life and my life? If you look there in your notes, we are called to focus daily on our relationship with Jesus. We're called to focus daily on our relationship with Jesus. Our, our, our relationship with God starts with Jesus. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, and our relationship with God continues with Jesus, so walk in Him. Give attention to that relationship with Jesus. Now, the word walk speaks of your manner of life. It's a metaphor. Speak of, of, of a relationship, a living in, in, side by side in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an important metaphor that the Bible uses quite frequently. And the idea is that you and I need to give special attention to our personal relationship with Jesus. And not just special attention, we need to make our relationship with Jesus our number one priority. Right? So here's my question. Is your personal walk with Jesus your number one priority? I mean, we know what relationships ought to look like, don't we? And we would never dare treat some of our loved ones the way we treat Jesus. You've heard me share this illustration before, but it's, it's really, really poignant. We know, for example, in marriage that you have to give daily attention to the marriage if you want to have a close relationship. If you want to have a strong marriage, you need to give daily attention to that marriage. What if we treated our spouse the way many people treat Jesus? What if we said to our spouse, you know what, I'm going I'm to come to you on Sunday, and I'm going to tell you you're great, and I'm going to tell you I love you, and then I'm not going to speak to you for an entire week. But I'll be back the next Sunday, and I'll tell you you're great, and I'll tell you love you. I love you, but on Monday, no, I've got too much going. I'm too busy. Life is too frantic. I don't want to have time to work on that relationship on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. That wouldn't go so well, would it? Our marriage would not be very strong at all. It would be vibrant at all. It would be weak and anemic. But that's how some of us treat Jesus. Jesus, we're going to come in on Sundays. We're going to say, oh, how I love you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. But when I get home, I'm going to take my Bible, and I'm going to put it on the shelf, and I'm going to go about my business, doing my thing, going to work, raising my family, busy, 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 but I'm not going to give you any attention until next Sunday. But I'll be back, and I'm going to tell you how much I love you, and I'm going to tell you that you amaze me, but I'm not going to listen to you speak to me in your word. I'm not going to speak to you in prayer. I'm not going to walk with you. Listen, that is not a biblical option for a maturing follower of Christ. If we're going to grow in our faith, not only do we receive Him as Savior and Lord, but we walk with Him daily. We're commanded to do that. Not just once a week, but every day. 
spending time with our Savior, walking with Him, letting Him speak to us as we speak to Him. We are called to focus daily on our relationship with Jesus. One of my favorite illustrations of this is found in John chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. We'll get to John 15 one of these days. I want to preach through that chapter uh, in the the future because it's just so rich. But in John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Isn't that a good illustration? I'm the vine, you're the branches. You get your life, your nourishment, you bear fruit because I pour out my life through you. So your job, he says, in John 15, is to abide in me. That means stay connected to the Savior, stay close to the Savior. Because apart from him, Jesus says, we can do nothing. So our job is to daily abide in Christ, to stay close to Christ, to cling to Christ. And then his life will will come into our life and bear fruit through our lives. It's a wonderful thing, the vine and the branches. When it comes to spiritual growth, we have a part to play. We are to focus daily on our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, when it comes to spiritual growth, God has a part to play. God has a part to play. Look in verse 7, Colossians 2, verse 7. Paul writes, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, and now being built up in him and established in your faith. The greatest role in our growth is God's role. Now, there are different roles to play, but the greatest role is God's role because if God doesn't do his part, we're all sunk. If, if God doesn't help us in this, this thing called spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, we will never grow. If God doesn't do his part, we are just wasting our time. But aren't you glad that the Bible says God is faithful? Listen, God always does his part. The greatest role in our spiritual maturity is God's role. And God plays his role, fulfills his role to perfection. So what is his role. And how do you know this verse is speaking of God's role? Well, look at the, the participles that are used here. Having been firmly rooted, built up, established in your faith. Those three participles are, are passive in voice, which means that these are, these are speaking of an object being acted on by an outside force. It's what a passive voice is used to indicate. So here's what he's saying. You are being acted on by an outside force. You are being rooted. You are being built up. You are being strengthened in your faith. So if, if we're the object, the passive object, who's the one doing the work? Answer, God. God's the one doing these things. God's the one doing this in our lives. So what are some things that God does? What are some things that, that God does in your life and my life to help us to grow? Well, if you look there in your notes, first of all, He rooted us in the saving love of Christ. He rooted us in the saving love of Christ. Verse 7 says, having been firmly rooted. Firmly rooted. This is a word from the world of horticulture. God firmly rooted you. Who did he root us in? It says they're rooted and built up in him. So the Lord, God, our Father, rooted us in Christ. Rooted us in the saving love of Jesus. Now, The tense of this participle is a perfect tense, which is interesting because it means that this speaks of a past event with ongoing implications. He's speaking here of our conversion. When I was nine years old, 
the Lord rooted me in Christ. He saved me and he put my roots down deep into the love of Jesus. Amen? And from that point on, there are ongoing implications in my life. I, I was rooted and I'm still rooted today because of God's faithfulness in my life. God's the one that holds me in his hand. God's the one that keeps me eternally secure. God's the one that rooted me deep down into the love of Christ. So this, this, this perfect tense indicates past event, ongoing implications. If you've been saved, it's because God rooted you in Christ. And guess what? You're still rooted in Christ today because God is faithful. Isn't that good? He's rooted you in the saving love of Christ. He, he dug down deep into the love of Jesus and planted you there. That's good news. Here's another thing that, that God does. Here's another part of his role. Not only does he root us in the love of Christ, he builds our lives on the firm foundation of Christ. Look what it says in verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him. Being built up in him. This is a word from the world of architecture. And this word is present tense. It's not perfect, it's present, which means that you are every day continually being built up in Christ. So what is God doing in your life and my life? If we are believers in Christ right now, right now, God is building us up. God is giving us everything we need to grow and mature. God's doing that in our life right now. Aren't you glad that when we are saved, God didn't say, hey, welcome to the kingdom, good luck. When we were saved, the Lord said, not only did I save you, I'm going to walk with you every step of the way until I bring you home to heaven. Philippians 1, 6, the Bible says that when God begins a good work in us, he completes it. Aren't you glad that God finishes what he starts? And this, this verb, this participle speaks of that. Not only did he root you in Christ, but he is, is presently building you up every day. He's giving you what you need. You have every, listen, you have everything you need by the power and grace of God to grow in Christ. If you're not growing in Christ, it's not God's fault. God is faithful. God does his part. God is working in your life. It's not God's fault if you're not growing. It's not God's fault if I'm not growing. God does this. This is his role. But there's a third role that God plays, a third part of his role. Not only does he root us in the saving love of Christ and build our lives on the firm foundation of Christ, but he strengthens us in the faith. He strengthens us in the faith. Look what it says in verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your Faith. This is a word from the legal world. So Paul's used horticulture imagery. He's used architectural imagery. Now he's using legal imagery. This word that's translated established in the NASB uh, speaks of legal contracts. It was used to mean confirm or to guarantee. Here's what this means. As you and I walk with Jesus, the Lord makes us stronger in the things we believe. The, the doctrines of the faith, the, 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 the belief that we have in God's word, in the Lord Jesus Christ, becomes stronger and stronger and more vivid and more real in our lives. That's what God does. He just makes us stronger in our faith. Listen to me. You ought to be stronger in your faith than you were five years ago because God's doing that in your life if you'll let him do it. 
You know what I just said? You ought to be strong in your faith than you were five years ago. And if you're not, then someone's not doing their role, and it's not God. God's doing his role, right? God's the one that strengthens us in our faith. Now, remember, this word was used of legal contracts. It means that God will come through on his end to make sure that we are strong in the faith. He's confirmed. He's established us. He's, he's guaranteeing that we will be strong in the faith. God does his part. So you and I have a role. It's to focus daily on our relationship with Jesus. God has a role. He roots us and, and builds us up and strengthens us in the faith. But there's one more role I want you to see. When it comes to spiritual growth, others have a part to play. Others have a part to play. Look what it says in verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and establishing your faith just as you were instructed. So you see the picture here? You're doing your part. You're walking in Christ. God's doing his part. He's rooting and building and strengthening. And there are others doing their part. They're teaching you truth. They're teaching you the, the, the will and the way of God. They're teaching you the great doctrines of the faith. So if we're going to grow, we've got to do our part. God's got to do his part. But we need others in our lives teaching us. God designed us to grow in the context of community. He designed us to grow in the context of relationships. We need other folks to help us to grow, right? Now, there's something in our old sin nature that says, I don't need anybody else. I, I can do this on my own. Try it out and see how it goes. Better yet, don't try it out. Don't take that challenge. It, it won't end up well. We're designed, God designed us to thrive when we have people speaking truth into our lives. Just as you were instructed. Here's what that speaks of. God uses Bible teachers and mentors to point us to Jesus. God uses Bible teachers and mentors to point us to Jesus. So here's the question. Who, who have been the people in your life that have shaped you spiritually? Who, who have been the people in your life that God has used to teach you, to instruct you, to encourage you, to help you to grow? I could spend a, a long time sharing the people in my life that God has used. I'll just share a few. When I was just a, a child growing up in church, I remember my pastor, F.T. Rogers. F.T. Rogers was our pastor. He was the one that led me to the Lord. He came to my house one summer afternoon and sat down with me at my dining room table and walked me through the Romans road and showed me that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God and there's none righteous, no, not one. But even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And at nine years old, I bowed my head, called on the name of the Lord, and I was saved. My pastor faithfully shared the gospel. I'm grateful for that. I don't remember many of of, uh, I call him preacher, I don't, I don't call many of preacher sermons, Brother F.T., but I remember one, I remember one Sunday he was preaching about the fiery darts of the wicked, Ephesians chapter 6. He was talking about, I remember standing on stage, talking about those fiery darts that the devil throws and the shield of faith that extinguishes those fiery darts. I was a little guy, but I remember him preaching about Satan coming after us, but God being faithful to deliver us. That was powerful. I remember that in my life. I remember how faithful he was to our church. As a matter of fact, I was somewhat surprised one day when I, I was out and about with my family and we drove by a boat dealership. You know, down there in Florida, there's a lot of boat dealerships. And, and we went by and my pastor, F.T. Rogers, was standing there looking at a boat. 
And I said, Dad, what's he doing? And Dad said, well, he's looking at a boat. And I just couldn't get over the fact that he wasn't in the church building. And Dad said, wait, do you think he lives there? I mean, it's okay if he wants to look at a boat. That was just, like, that was just kind of a paradigm shifter for me because I just thought he was always at the church or always out doing visitation because he was just a faithful, faithful pastor. And he played a, a, a major role in my, in my life. I'm so grateful for F.T. Rogers. He's now with the Lord. I'll see him again one day. I think about Chris Adams. He was a young pastor just out of seminary that came to my home church. And I was a teenager uh, getting out of high school, going into college. And those were some formative years. God was doing some, some, some really major work in my life. And Chris was there to walk me through that, to mentor me, to teach me what it means to walk with Jesus. He would take me fishing. He'd invite me over to his house to eat dinner with his family. He just spent time with me. We had some formal time where he'd teach me some things. And then some informal time where I would just catch what it means to live faithfully for the Lord, to pastor a church, to love your wife, to love your kids, uh, to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And, and he invested in my life and mentored me. And in, in those years, I grew by leaps and bounds. God used him to teach me, to instruct me. That was his role, and he did it well. I think about people that mentored me. They don't even know they mentored me. Like Adrian Rogers. He's with the Lord now, and you know him as the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church for so many years. I only met him one time, shook his hand, talked to him for about 10 seconds. But he mentored me. We listened to his sermons, his, 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 his teaching. Uh, I, I grew by leaps and bounds listening to Adrian Rogers. I remember I bought a, an Adrian Rogers cassette series with my mom's credit card. I was home and I saw him on TV. He was on the, and my parents just got a satellite, never heard Adrian Rogers. All of a sudden, I'm watching Adrian Rogers on TV. I said, who is this guy? And... And I, I got her credit card, ordered the tape set, and that summer I was home working. And, and every night I'd lay on my bed listening to Adrian Rogers preach the word. Every night. I listened to his tape over and over and over. He mentored me. He didn't even know it. He'll know it when we get to heaven or may know it now, but, but he mentored me. And, 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 if, and if you've grown in Christ, you have people like that in your life. And whoever those people are, you know what you need to do? You need to be grateful for those folks. Thank God that God has placed them in your life. But here's the, the, the key. You and I need those folks in our lives today. I like to say that every Timothy needs a Paul. Do you have someone in your life that is a mentor to you? That's teaching you the word and teaching you what it means to live according to the word you're learning. Teaching you how to, to, to obey the word and the implications of the word in your life. Do you have a mentor in your life? If you don't, pray for one. Say, God, show me who I can spend some time with that can help me to grow in my faith. Ask God to show you. And then be proactive. I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I've always wanted a mentor. No one's ever, I, I don't have a mentor. No one's ever come and talk to me or listen to me. Be proactive. If God gives you a person in your mind or heart, take them to coffee. Take them out for lunch. And just tell them, say, hey, I need to spend some time with somebody that's going to challenge me to grow in my walk with, with the Lord. Can I just hang out with you maybe once a week? Once every couple of weeks, can we just spend some time together and talk about the Bible, talk about what we're learning? And I, I just need your wisdom in my life. Be proactive. Take the first step. But ask God to put a mentor like that in your life. Now, just quick, a man needs a man mentor, a woman needs a woman mentor. Just, I want to say that real quick, all right? But we need, that, we need that Paul in our life. Do you have someone like that in your life? And you need to avail yourself to Bible teachers. 
You need to be under the preaching of the word, just like you are this morning. You need to be in a, a connect group where you have a teacher that's leading you to a discussion of the word of God, digging deeper in the word of God. We need Bible teachers in our lives. I, I try to avail myself to Bible teachers. I'm, I know I'm a pastor, but I still try to listen to other people preach and teach so I can be fed myself. It's important. Others have a role to play. We have a role to play. God has a role to play. Others have a role to play. You need to, you need to open up your life to others. Let others who are faithful Bible teachers and who live according to the truth of the word pour into your life. You will not be sorry. I promise you that. When it comes to spiritual growth, others have a part to play. So you see these three roles, they're so clear. Our role, God's role, the role that others have to play. Now, I'm going to close in just a second, but I want to just answer this question. Wait, what's at stake here? What's the big deal? I mean, is this idea of, of growing in your faith, maturing in your faith, is it that big of a deal? What's at stake? Well, if you look at their notes, I've got two quick things for you. Number one, number one, spiritual growth is the antidote to false teaching. If you want to stay on the right path and not be led astray by false teachers, you need to grow in your faith. Now, I want to show you the context of these two verses. What happens right before these two verses? What happens right after these two verses? Before you get to this idea of, of walking in Him and being rooted and, and, and established and built up in Him, look what it says in verse 4. Paul says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. So he's saying there, I don't want anyone to lead you astray. Then look what he says in the, the verse right after verses 6 and 7, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul's saying, don't be led astray. Don't be taken captive by false teaching. Don't do that. How do you avoid being led astray? Verses 6 and 7. Grow. Walk in Christ. Let him mature you. Let him build you up in the faith. Let him strengthen you in the faith. And that will be the antidote to you being led astray. You know what's happening in the church in America today? We have droves of people being led astray because they're babes in Christ. They're not growing. We need to grow. I like what Warren Wiersbe writes. He writes, by reviewing these pictures of spiritual progress, we see how the growing Christian can easily defeat the enemy and not be led astray. If his spiritual roots are deep in Christ, he will not want any other soil. If Christ is his sure foundation, he has no need to move. If he is studying and growing in the word, he will not be easily enticed by false doctrine. And if his heart is overflowing with thanksgiving, he will not even consider turning from the fullness he has in Christ. Listen, a grounded, growing Grateful believer will not be led astray. Let me say it again. A grounded, growing, grateful believer will not be led astray. So I have some pastoral concern for you this morning. As your pastor, I don't want you to be led astray. And here's what the Bible teaches. If you're grounded, if you're growing, if you're grateful, you will not be led astray. That's important, right? So gross that you will not be deceived with false doctrines or false worldviews. There's a second thing that's at stake here. Your joy. Spiritual growth is the key to joy. Spiritual growth is the key to joy. Look what Paul writes there in verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, 
and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. As you do your part and God does his part and others are doing their part, there's this gratitude that wells up in your life and doesn't wait for Thanksgiving Day to express itself. For the believer that's growing in Christ, gratitude is not a day of the year. Gratitude is a way of life because it overflows. I mean, it it just comes out of your life. You're so grateful for God's grace in your life, and you're so joyful because of of what God has done for you. Spiritual growth is the key to joy. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, maybe that explains why some of you are so miserable. Maybe it explains something so miserable because you're not growing. You're not delighting in the fullness of Christ. The work of God in your life. The strengthening in the great doctrines of the faith. Hey, listen, we sing songs like Living He Loved Me, Dying He Saved Me, Buried He Carried My Sins Far Away, Rising He Justified For Me. Listen, that doesn't mean anything to you. That doesn't stir your heart. The gospel. We were, you know what we were singing this morning? The gospel. If that doesn't stir your heart, maybe it's because you're a babe in Christ. You're not growing to understand how rich and full these teachings and doctrines are. Spiritual growth is the key to joy. I believe the most miserable people in the world are not unbelievers. I believe they have their own miseries. They're far from God. But I believe a lot of times unbelievers don't even know they're far from God. And they don't really care. God's not drawn to himself. They're just kind of doing their own thing. They're not really worried about the things of God. They're just living their life, pursuing their own desires. I believe the most miserable people in the world are believers who are not growing. Because they know better. And the Spirit of God has, is gripping their heart to say, you need to give attention to Jesus. You need to focus on Jesus. And if you're not doing it, if you're not responding to the, the convicting work of the Spirit and you're pursuing your own priorities apart from Christ, you're miserable. And it's making your, your, your marriage miserable and your, and your kids miserable and people that work with you miserable because you're not walking in fullness in Christ. You're not walking in maturity. You're not overflowing with joy and gratitude. This idea of spiritual growth, it's it's a big deal. It's the key to your joy. Listen to me. I want you to have joy. You want me to have joy? Do you? Ditto. I want you to have joy. And joy comes as we respond to God's work in our lives, do our part, others do their part, and we grow in Christ. That when true joy, peace, fulfillment comes. So here's the question. Are you fulfilling your role? Are you doing your part to grow in Christ? 